0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com.
1: Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexa Santos. The Feed Feed is the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the podcast, we are speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community to hear their stories, learn about their culinary inspirations, and get some of their best cooking tips. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Maddie Sperling, executive chef of popular Eastern Mediterranean restaurant Zuzu's in New York City. Before working at Zuzu's, Maddie worked at some of New York City's most notable restaurants where she honed her skills. Now her menu at Zuzu's draws on Maddie's Eastern Mediterranean Jewish heritage and is getting rave reviews. I'm so excited to have you here, and I can tell I'm going to be hungry by the end, if not the beginning of this conversation. So thank you for being here, Maddie. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Yay. So let's go back to the very beginning. Like, Where did you grow up, and what were some of your earliest uh, food memories?
3: Oh, sure. Um, I grew up in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, And, you know, my mom was a great home cook. So my earliest food memories um, were helping her out in the kitchen. I remember that I used to love uh, the monotonous prep tasks like peeling garlic for her, which should have been a good sign of what was to come for me. Yeah, my God. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, And yeah, I mean, I just have, like, some really nice memories of us having dinner together as a family and, um, like, celebrating Jewish holidays with a meal together.
1: Well, look at that. And so you were peeling garlic and doing all those other things. What were some of the other um, – what were some of the dishes that um, I guess she was making and that you kind of grew up loving?
3: Um I mean, she had a wide range of dishes that uh, she cooked really well. Like I, I did learn a lot from her, but um, some of her specialties were a perfectly cooked roast chicken, which I don't think I fully appreciated until I got into the restaurant setting um, and actually ended up working in a restaurant where we were known for our chicken, know yeah. Nomad Hotel. And um, I really like was able to look back then and appreciate the, um, how awesome it was that, like, my mom could execute something that a lot of professional chefs struggle with. Yes. Um, And let's see, what else? I mean, she made a really nice brisket, which is a staple in, um, like, the Jewish Shabbat meal repertoire. Uh, And every week she
1: actually made challah bread. um, Ooh. Which was really delicious as well. Yes. So that's actually hilarious you say that because that's roast chicken is one of my mom's specialties as well. And she's also Jewish. So maybe there's just like a, a something in the DNA that they just know how to do it. I don't know why.
3: <laughs> yeah, maybe like an open source code for Jewish moms or something.
1: Yeah, it must be my goodness. <laughs> so what like you were peeling garlic and helping but when did you start kind of actually learning to cook?
3: So I started, I started baking first. Um, My like the first cookbook I I owned actually was this book of 101 cookie recipes that my dad gave to me as a gift in 2001. Um, I still have it; he inscribed it to me. Um, But that's how I first started to get uh, comfortable in the kitchen. I would make like brownies and um, like really basic cakes. But as far as savory cooking, you know, I don't think that I really delved into that until I was uh, high school age. Like my first memory of uh, cooking for people was at my grandmother's house um, in Arizona. I was with some of my extended family and one of my cousins and I decided that we wanted to cook dinner for everyone. I think it was probably a group of like 15 of us. And we picked out this recipe from one of the Barefoot Contessa cookbooks. Uh, my mom had, like, all of Ina Garten's cookbooks. And mm. um, it was it was this, like, chicken parm or, like, chicken milanaise recipe. And we made a shopping list. Uh, you know, one of our, like, older family members took us to the store to get everything. And, you know, I thought we did a really, really great job executing it. It was, like, my first uh, private party experience, like, more or less. And yeah. then when we cut into the chicken, like, of course, it was completely raw. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I've, like, since learned how to, like, cook chicken through. But that's my first memory of, like, really trying
1: to, uh, like, cook for folks. Oh, my gosh. Well, look at that. So then I assume from there you went to culinary school? Or I guess what kind of happened from there? Um, pretty
3: safe assumption. But I actually... <laughs> I actually didn't. Um, okay. I I went to school uh, at UNC in Chapel Hill and studied Spanish and comparative literature, um, which, you know, has gone on to serve me in kitchens, but, um, you know, like not not in the same way that culinary school uh, serves chefs. So I, yeah, I was getting my liberal arts education there and I was working in restaurants on the side um, as a server, actually. So um I, I ended up working in this uh, fine dining restaurant in Chapel Hill. And it was, it was owned by this, like, cardiologist at Duke University. It was his, his like, hobby project. And he really loved dining uh, in cities like Chicago and New York. So he would go take these trips, dine at restaurants like 11 Madison Park or Alinea, and he would come back and talk to the chef and be like, I had this really good like crab and avocado roulade dish. Um, or I had this like veal dish that was served with 50 components on this glass slab at Alinea. And <laughs> I think we should do something like that. Not and really. <laughs> yeah, sure. Like casual. And um, the the chef there, you know, like you know, found himself um, like adapting or like doing his own versions of these like groundbreaking three Michelin star dishes. And uh-huh. I I was like – I mean, I totally didn't know what was going on until I later worked my way through, like, the 11 Madison Park cookbook and got more familiar, familiar with, um, like, the fine dining dishes from these restaurants. But I was, like, totally blown away by what I was seeing at this restaurant where I was working as a server. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, I was not really crushing it, um, like, in the front of house. I – wasn't like, I I wouldn't say I have like the, the discretion or like the special kind of finesse that uh, like front of house professionals have. I am a little bit more direct and I guess like, I don't have like the subtlety that you really need uh, to make it. So I asked if I could try out in the kitchen and the chef like took a chance and let me work salad station. And fortunately I ended up being much better at that side of things. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Salad station, let's go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. So what a what a journey. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing is that a lot of people and, you know, this has obviously become a lot more of a common conversation, especially with, you know, COVID the last few years of just like, do chefs really need to go to culinary school or is it more like – get your hand, you know, cut your teeth in an actual kitchen and, you know, with so many internet chefs kind of coming up in, you know, notoriety and kind of like, well, none of them really went to culinary school, but they've got people all over the country making their food. So just kind of like the change of things. And would you, I guess, do you have a position on that since you kind of did go for the the latter route of just kind of learning and grooving and changing and becoming the chef that you are like in actual kitchens? That's a really good
3: question. And I think the answer depends a lot on the person as far as like what kind of education they need to be successful in the industry. Um, I will say this, like since I started cooking, kitchens overall have become much better teaching environments. Like the culture in restaurants has changed so positively and has become a lot more nurturing. Um, so I think it is more possible than ever to get a practical education in a restaurant kitchen, uh, without like formal training. Um, that said like, you know, in a city like New York, uh, I think it's, it is useful in some ways to have that culinary school experience because, uh, it can build confidence before a person sets foot in some of like the most difficult kitchens in the world, probably. Um, New York City restaurants are like very high stakes, high volume. um, And even if it is a nurturing environment, like it can be pressuring too, especially if you're not familiar with it. So to walk into one of those restaurants for the first time, knowing you have like basic knowledge of how to carry yourself, how to hold a knife, um, and maybe even like you had an instructor send an email on your behalf to get you in the front door. Uh, I think culinary school can be beneficial for that. But, you know, if you um, have the right attitude and you're ready to be humble and listen and just take in all of the lessons that will come your way, I think that you can do it without the formal training.
1: Interesting. Yeah, and I know it's it's definitely a gray area. And there's no like real answer. But I have uh, talked to a handful of folks about that um, in the last couple of years. And it is a very, very interesting thing. And I'm glad that your path really worked out the way that it did. And I feel like that's that's exciting. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. So you were working in the restaurants kind of from a young age. And then where did your journey take you from there?
3: Um, so, you know, my first kitchen was at that fine dining restaurant where we mm-hmm. were, sorry, we were like ripping off dishes from other restaurants.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
3: and, um, I mean, after that, I, I went on to work at um, this fine dining restaurant outside of Chapel Hill. It's called uh, the Farrington House. And uh, it's a Relais Chateau property, um, Forbes Five Star. It basically had like all the accolades that you could get um, being outside of like a Michelin guide area. Mm-hmm. And I had a I had a pretty like tough chef there. Um he he was from the UK, very formally classically trained. Um and you know, we were doing some really ambitious food there. So that to me felt like um like the crux of my early education. Um I like I had a lot of days where like I cried in my car on the way home from work. I like, I had days where I cried in the bathroom at the restaurant, but I mean, I, I learned so much there and I, I became like a really tough young cook. Um, I think that that built like the, the tough skin for me that I needed before moving to New York, which is what I did next. Um, so I came up, I came up here and I got a job at Gramercy Tavern. Um, and I worked there for two years, and that was, like, such a great, uh, like, first New York City restaurant. Like, the the culture of Union Square Hospitality Group um, was like, so positive, and it taught me how to be in, like, a tough restaurant environment, but, like, to do it with a smile. And, like, it taught me that it's just as important to... Um, like, have good relationships with my coworkers and take care of um, like fellow staff members as it is to take care of guests. Yeah. So, I think even though I was just a cook there, that really like set the stage for the kind of culture that I tried to build when I got into leadership positions.
1: Okay, cool. We're gonna take a quick break and hear from our sponsors.
2: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush green hills of Wisconsin—
1: You were kind of running the gamut of like working at very notoriously phenomenal restaurants in New York. So you were at Grand Mercy Tavern for for how long? And then what happened after that?
3: I was there for about two years. Um, after that, I moved on to uh, the Nomad Hotel
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, and I worked my way up to a sous chef position, uh, executive sous chef, and finally chef de cuisine there.
1: Well, look at that. And then is that where you met your, your current uh, partner, your the Chef de Cuisine, where you are now? Or was that over at yes. Gramercy? Okay.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Chef Julie and I met at, um, at the Nomad. Uh, she was a line cook when I was a sous chef. And uh, then she eventually got promoted as well. And uh, she worked under me as a sous chef when I was uh, exec sous and Chef de Cuisine.
1: Well, look at that. So how did this all come together where you ended up over at Zuzu's? Uh, So
3: I got a call from um, Alex, who is our director of operations at Zuzu's. Uh, We had worked together at Nomad. He was in a similar position with Make It Nice. And uh, he just said he wanted to talk to me about an opportunity. And um, I... You know, I I took it because we're friends. I totally wasn't <laughs> expecting to be as excited about it as I was, but um, he said some like really key words for me on the phone, namely wood fire, and then I was pretty hooked from there. So wood he fire. had, um, yeah. So he had a restaurant space where they were building out a wood fire hearth, and that was something that I had gotten to do at Gramercy Tavern, uh, cook over live fire, and is just like one of the most fun things you can do as a chef. It's so dynamic and you get to add this whole like other layer of flavor to your cooking that Mm -hmm. you can't have otherwise. Um, So I um, hearing that I was hooked and ended up, um, you know, going through like a tasting uh, process with him um, and some other uh, people from quality branded uh, who like operates the restaurant. And uh, when Julie came on board, everything started to snowball from there.
1: (laughs) Well, look at that. And so how long has it been?
3: So we opened the restaurant last November, um, but uh, Julie and I have been working on it since April of 2021. So we had this like really amazing period of time where all we had to do was just like dream about this restaurant it wasn't real yet but we just got to like work on the food pick out service pieces um like decide what uniforms for the staff were going to be um and just like come up with ideas which after like grinding in restaurants for you know like 8 9 years yeah. it was it was so fun to like take a step back and like imagine what what we wanted zuzu's to be um so we did that for almost six months, um, and then the team came came on board and we opened in November.
1: Well, look at that. And how, I know we I mentioned a little bit in your intro that, you know, the menu is inspired by a lot of things, one of those being your Eastern Mediterranean Jewish heritage. So what does that kind of look like? Like what are some of the dishes that um, you're super proud of over there?
3: Um, so my background is actually like Eastern European Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't have an Eastern Mediterranean background. Oh, okay. um, I, I do really love cooking um, food from that region. Uh, Julie, however, does have um, a Middle Eastern background. So uh, her parents or her family is Jordanian Lebanese. Um, and we had a really good time, um, like, collaborating with our different backgrounds on the menu. And above all else, like, using our shared experience from working in, um, like, fine dining restaurants in New York City.
1: Yes. Okay. So what are some of the standouts on the menu over there? Or so, I guess some of the fan favorites.
3: Sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, I would say most people start with a dip tower. Um, oh. So dips are, right. So dips are something that you expect to see on um, an Eastern Mediterranean restaurant menu. And we do have our takes on classics like hummus and baba ghanoush, But we also have some more playful dips. My favorite is a green tahini that we do. So it's tahini and chickpea blended with a ton of fresh herbs and some serrano chili for heat. And we top it with uh, whipped, uh, whipped aquafaba. So basically the chickpeas that we cook for hummus, we take the liquid, the liquid and we whip it up. Yeah. And it ends up having this like meringue texture. It's actually like commonly used in vegan desserts. Yes. Um, but we season ours with like garlic and lemon juice. So it's a little bit more savory. And The green tahini is hidden underneath this like cloud of uh the white foam. So you're surprised when you dip your bread in and you see this bright green hue underneath it.
1: Oh my gosh, that sounds incredible. (laughs) That sounds so good. Oh my god. So wow. And how does it feel to be kind of like having this platform to show your, you know, your background and then also you know your background culturally, but also your background with your work experience in these fine dining restaurants, and then also, you know, I, I guess how does it feel to have this stage to be able to do that?
3: Um, I mean, it feels totally surreal and bizarre to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, like it even makes me nervous to be on this podcast with you. I I don't love being in the spotlight, um, so I it's it's still hard for me to adjust to. But it has been a really cool experience to figure out like what my, what my own style of cooking is because for so long I've worked in restaurants where it's been my job to like execute someone else's style as best as I possibly could. Right. And I've taken a lot of pride in doing that. Like I'm in hospitality because I love serving people um, and I love making people happy or making my mentors proud. And then being like put in this position where, um, you know, it's, it's me. Like I, I have to come up with my own style. I need to present something great on my own um, has been really challenging and it's put me out of my comfort zone um, in a way where I've grown and I'm excited about um, the food that we've come up with. But it's also been really great to like, you know, give, or like support Julie in a new position and um, give her a platform to like express herself and her heritage, and to get to create an environment where like young cooks get to start out in restaurants and maybe have a better experience than I did, mm-hmm. or a better experience than they would otherwise.
1: Yeah. Well, that's so cool. And congratulations on all that. That's really, really, really cool. <laughs> and you. it sounds delicious. I mean, like just looking at the menu, I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then hearing you describe it, it's really, really awesome. And so what are your kind of like goals and hopes for like what people take away when they come to the restaurant and try your food? What do you kind of hope that people, I guess, learn about? Um,
3: that's a good question. I mean, I do think that we are using some ingredients in our menu that people might not be familiar with otherwise. So I I do hope that some of our dishes will expand our guest palates and like make them more open to other other Middle Eastern or Eastern Mediterranean restaurants in the city. Um, But, you know, above all else, like I just want people to have a really, really fun time at the restaurant. Um, Mm -hmm. And to have like a memorable experience where they they feel like they're having an elevated, um, like an elevated meal, but it's unpretentious and kind of like a party atmosphere.
1: Yes. Well, that sounds kind of ideal, honestly. (laughs) That's awesome. And then so with your family who kind of, you know, was a lot of the inspiration for you getting into cooking in the first place? I guess what do are they I assume super proud of you for the way that this is all played out? Um, yeah they
3: are. I mean I think my mom like wishes that I would be done working 12 to 14 hour days.
1: <laughs> As <laughs> um, any good Jewish so, mother
3: would be. Yeah 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 but uh, they are and I, I feel really lucky to have parents who um, have been supportive of me on this journey because I know there are a lot of uh, people whose parents like wish that their kids wouldn't go into restaurants and hospitality because right. it's not an easy path. And, um, you know, it's it's not the most like high paying career, obviously. So um, to have parents who like were were behind me as I set out to do something kind of risky and untraditional, um, that's been, I, I'm grateful for that.
1: Yeah. Well, if- that's so fun. I love that. (laughs) And so were you, are you Jewish on both sides of the family or just your mom's side? Uh, I'm Jewish on both sides. Okay, cool. So I guess you're really going full throttle with (laughs) the culinary inspiration from your, from your family, which is very, very cool. And is there, I guess, a favorite dish that they have of yours. That's kind of like your go-to, like, it's not you cooking in the restaurant, but it's you making for family. Like what is their favorite thing that you make for them? Oh, wow. Um, if there is one, it's probably like hard for them to choose. <laughs> um,
3: you know, I – one of my my passions is like salad actually. I love cooking, Ooh. cooking vegetables and doing – or doing raw vegetable dishes. So um, like usually when I go visit my mother in Colorado where she lives now, um, I'll put something together with the vegetables from her garden. Um, and that makes her really happy. But, you know – I think that um, they're just happy to have whatever I cook for them, and I, I like to keep it simple when um, it's just us because you know I I cook at a high level for work, so yes. doing something straightforward um, like feels really nice.
1: <laughs> I totally feel that too because whenever you know I. I don't work in a restaurant, but I work, you know, in food media and it's a lot of like recipe development, you know, filming and, you know, creating content around it. And, you know, those things are not really typically the way that one eats day to day. Those are things I mean, and same for you, like you're serving food to people that are like coming out for a nice experience, not necessarily like day to day you know, nourishment. And so same here, it's where it's like, okay, yeah, once it's time for me to actually eat dinner, it's like simple is better, something easy, something like healthy, like that's definitely the vibe. So I totally know where you're coming from there.
3: Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about what chefs eat at home, I I actually have a dish on the Zuzu's menu that is inspired by like a late night chef dinner. Really? Um, and oh, yeah, like, one of my meals that I would make when I, like, used to live alone and I was cooking long hours was, like, microwaved broccoli florets tossed in this really delicious Trader Joe's spicy peanut vinaigrette. Ooh. And, it, I mean, it's, like... I mean, I I know, like, a lot of people are like, that's how a chef eats, really? Yes. But, but yes, that's how chefs eat. And the dish on the Zuzu's menu is charred broccoli that we cook over the fire. And we made this, like, cashew harissa sauce um, Mm. that is a play on a spicy peanut sauce. And people love it.
1: Yeah. Well, look at that. Inspired by Trader Joe's. (laughs) sponsor me please literally (laughs) and like super easy weeknight healthy dinners so just elevated (laughs) yeah we just put like a we put like a cashew
3: crumble with some puck with some puffed buckwheat on it and there you go new york city restaurant dish
1: (laughs) that sounds absolutely incredible (laughs) well was there anything else important about your journey or your culinary you know inspirations or anything that i haven't asked you yet
3: um that you haven't asked me uh I'm not sure.
1: I'd have to, I mean, think about that for a second.
0: Um, (laughs) Well, anything glaring that I'm missing,
1: I guess, as far as your, uh, your path. And I know we kind of covered the, the step-by-step of how you went from, you know, peeling garlic with your mom to now like working at a very popular, well, being the executive chef at a very popular New York City restaurant. Was there any like step in the process that we, we missed? Oh, um,
3: I mean, not a step. Like I, I really tried to, like, work in restaurants for a long time and get, get the reps in. So that means that for these, like, you know, seven, eight years I was working in restaurants prior to to Zuzu's, a lot of my days looked the same. And, mm-hmm. like, it, it really wasn't, um, like, at times it wasn't glamorous or exciting from the outside. Like, it was very difficult. But I am really, like, proud and thrilled to have Zuzu's now as the product of all of that hard work. Yeah. And I hope that yeah, like I I hope that the, um, yeah, like those long years, um, I I hope that they're coming through like in a valuable way for the guest.
1: Yeah, no, I bet. I mean, and it's no joke. I mean, I know a lot of people in the restaurant industry, my parents were both in the restaurant industry, their whole careers. And I feel like the more you learn about it, the more it's kind of like, wow, it, it really is an appreciation that, everybody should really have for people who work in restaurants so I definitely respect the the reps and the hard work that you put in there and I'm glad it's like amounted to what it is for you now so I mean congratulations on all of it thank you yeah and thank you so much for being here was there anything else that you wanted to add um I I
3: don't think so but it's been really nice to chat with you You Um, too. and thank you so much for having me
1: of course yeah thanks for telling me the whole story through a a roller coaster ride and an eventful journey to get you to where you are today. And it's just, yeah, it's very cool and inspirational to hear about. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook, author, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed podcast is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network